the altar of incense. And we're going to go to the book of Exodus. And we'll go to chapter number 30. After this uh, particular piece of furniture, we're going to go, go to do two more in the, uh, in the courtyard, the brazen altar and the laver. And uh, we'll see how much further I'm going to go with that, you know, how much more detail. There's so much you could talk about the tabernacle, but uh, we'll see how I feel about it at the time. Exodus 30, we're going to read six verses there. And it says, Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and top thereof, and the sides thereof, round about, and the horns thereof. And thou shalt make unto it a, gold, a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make uh, to it under the crown of it. By the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it, thou shalt make it, and they shall be for places uh, for the staves to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the staves of Shittim wood, and, and overlay them with gold, and thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat is, that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And then we see in chapter 40, verse number 5, it says, And thou shalt set the, the golden the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And in Exodus 40 verse 26, it gives you the account of him doing that. And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil and he burned sweet incense thereon as the Lord commanded Moses. And so the instructions given by God for the altar of incense are not mentioned uh, with the rest of the tabernacle furnitures in, in chapter uh, 25 and 26, they are given to us after the commands regarding the sacrifices. And so it's a little, it's a little separation here with this particular piece of furniture. The sweet incense was to be burned upon the altar every morning and evening, coinciding with the morning and the evening sacrifices. And so letter A, it, it represents the pleasing life of Christ and His church, the altar of incense typifies the pleasing nature of Christ's life and sacrifice to his father. Uh, you know, we were talking about on Sunday night about the priesthood of the believer and uh, the sacrifices that the priesthood or those of us that are New Testament priests can offer. And I didn't get a chance to actually preach on that. But if you go through the New Testament, you'll find several times where the Bible says that that was a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. And whenever you see something like that in the New Testament, you're referring to a, a sacrifice that a New Testament priest can offer God. And so you, you take note of those things. And I may go to that on Sunday night, but when you, this is exactly what this is referring to. This incense is a picture of the life of his son in the nostrils of God. Uh, it's kind of like when they, they, they came through uh, on Noah's Ark, and after they, they landed, uh, Noah built a, an altar and he sacrificed upon that altar. And the Bible says that that sacrifice was a sweet savor in his nostrils because it pictured him, it, it reminded him of his son. So that's what the whole thing is all about. Without Christ, there is no sweet incense. There is no sweet savor. But we have the privilege today as believers, his church, to actually give that same sweet savor to the Lord in our personal lives, as Christ himself did to the Father. 
And so that's what that represents there within this uh, context here. Uh, in, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so the first thing you got to know about giving a, a sacrifice to the Lord, it's always a sacrifice of faith. Uh, if it's not of faith, it doesn't please him. So whatever you do, it's got to be a faith decision. It's got to be based on scripture. It's got to be based on uh, what the Lord told you to do and not seeing the result right off the bat. So when you give something to the Lord, whether it be financial, whether it be your time, whether it be uh, even going through a hard time and in the midst of that giving praise to him, the Bible says that that's a sweet savor in the nostrils of God. It's, the, it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's hard to thank God when you're at the bottom of the barrel, you know. But as you do that, what you're showing the Lord is that I believe you. I believe that what you're going to do in my life is, is going to get me past this, and I'm going to be okay. And so to the Lord, he, he smells that, and it's just like he, he smells his son. It's a, it's a sweet savor to him. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 12, it says this, And he shall take a censer full of burning coals off the fi- off of fire, from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And so once a year, the, the priest would do this as well. On the Day of Atonement, uh, he would take the, the uh, coals off of the, out, the altar in the courtyard, the brazen altar, with the, the different utensils that they made, and he'd bring it inside of the holy place, and that's how they would light the incense. They would use the coals off of the brazen altar. And that was a command of God. He commanded it right here. But the interesting thing is you've heard of the account of Nadab and Abihu. And you see that in Leviticus 10, verse 1 to 3, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. So strange fire is just a fire that is not, that is not, that is not, particular to what the God commanded them to do. It's like the Bible talks about a strange woman. It's not talking about just a strange woman. It's talking about one that is not familiar or, or is familiar to you. Amen. And so when they took this fire, that was an unfamiliar fire. That was something that was in opposition to the command of God. And so it's interesting as they go on here, it says, and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. You say, wow, big mistake. It killed you. Uh, but then it tells them why. It says in this next verse, Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Because Aaron began to sorrow and grieve the loss of his sons, which is not something that is too strange. But yet the Lord said, be careful because I needed to sanctify myself because of the error that they made. So this is what I always say. You, you will either sanctify the God in the way that he has commanded you to, or he will sanctify himself in your life apart from your decision. Amen? And he does that many times by chastising and judging you. And so he says, I'm not just going to let this slide here. You're not just going to go, go as, a, as one, that's what it says here. It says, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. See, the ones that come nigh are those that are God's priests. 
we are the New Testament priesthood. We are the ones that come nigh to God. And so he's saying, I will sanctify myself in them that draw nigh to me. And so that's our responsibility. And so the thing is, what they did is they, they didn't take the coals off of the brazen altar. I don't know what, where they got the fire. I don't know how they, you know, how that all happened. It doesn't tell us where they got it from. But all I know, it wasn't according to the command of God. And it was so important that you take the coals off of the brazen altar because the brazen altar represents the cross of Calvary. It represents the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything you offer to God within your life as a sweet smell unto him is based upon the sacrifice of the son. And every, every aspect of the character of your sacrifice to the Lord is based upon the character of that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And so if you're, we're saying, hey, I'm sacrificing unto you, but that, that sacrifice doesn't bear the mark and the character of the cross of Calvary, then we are not doing as commanded to us. We're offering strange fire before the Lord. And he says, well, then I'll sanctify myself in you in some other way. And the Lord gets his sanctification done either way, any way you look at it. He can't just let things go because he has to. If we fail to show people what we are as we draw nigh to God, then God says, I have to, in your place, show them myself sanctified through your chastisement or judgment. I, I, have, no, I have no choice but to do that, you see. And so we got to be very careful that we live a life that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ and we don't offer strange fire before the Lord because it's very easy to do that. We can be very hypocritical, very uh, self-centered, even in our religion, in our you know, church life, whatever it is. And we got to be very careful that we're living the life that the Lord wants us to live. Amen. And so that's what that, that's referring to there. And so we can many times become hypocritical in our service and our sacrifice to God and our lives are to be uh, sacrificed to the Lord, reflecting the sacrifice of Christ. And so the Lord knows when our motives have strange fire in them, even if we don't know, you know. I don't know your motive, you don't know mine. And, uh, I, and I find it very difficult for me to even try to uh, discover someone's motive. I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to go there. Because that's a lot of surmising. And the Bible talks about evil surmising. Well, they did this because of that. Well, you don't know why they did it. And so you can never make a judgment based upon why someone did something. But you can make a judgment on what they did. Amen? But you, you'll never judge a motive. And the very, it's a very big mistake for anybody to walk around thinking that they know the heart of somebody. Because even though you may think you got it nailed... You may just be wrong in that. And, and so why would you waste your time, you know, with false judgment and become a judge of another man's heart, you know? But we can judge the actions. We can judge the effects of situations in our life, but not the heart, not the motive of why somebody does what they do. Amen? And so that's important. But the Lord can. The Lord sees your motive. So he sees the fire that's behind your actions. He sees the fire that's behind your service behind your, your sacrifice for God. He sees what fire is, is fueling your, your faithfulness or your seeming faithfulness to the Lord, amen? And that could be many things, and I'm not saying anybody here has a wrong fire, but it, it can be, and that's something we ought to be very careful about is not to you know, approach the church and approach the things of God 
with a wrong motive as to why you're doing this. And that's not really my business on why you're doing it. I've got to focus on my business, <laughs> you know, whether my fire is right, whether I've taken those coals off of the altar and let that fuel my incense to the Lord. Amen. And so a very important lesson as we look at this altar of incense for us. So what believers do through faith in God's word is just as pleasing to God. And so when, 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 when Jesus offered himself to the Lord and the Bible says, I am well pleased. He looked at his son. He says, hear ye him in him. I'm well pleased. And, and a couple of times he verified that the father in heaven that I'm well pleased with my son. Just think about this. You could be just as pleasing to God as you go forward by faith doing the things that the Lord's asked you to do. Where he'll look at you and say, that is well pleasing to me. You please me. Amen. That's a pretty amazing thing when you look at it. Lost sinners like ourselves, you know, and how he saved us. And now we can actually please the God of heaven that is holy and righteous and just in everything that he does. It's pretty phenomenal. In Isaiah 42, verse 21, it says, The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. And so why is he well pleased? Because of his righteousness. So as you by faith submit to the righteousness of God and have that run, go through your life, flow through your life, that pleases God. But he, he's pleased for his righteousness sake. Not something that you think he should be pleased with in your life because we can do that too. Oh God, you must be really pleased with what I just did. Well, it's got to be based on what the scripture says because there is no righteousness apart from his. Amen. Even as much as we try to establish it. And that's why the Pharisees, they were, um, in Romans it talks about how that they went about seeking to establish their own righteousness. And that's why the Lord was so displeased with them even though they thought that they were just on top. They were just the separated ones. They were the holy ones. They were the cream of the crop. And the Lord says, I'm not pleased with you. And so that's what this altar of incense is really referring to. Matthew 3, 17, and low a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Matthew 12, 18, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. And once again in Matthew 17, 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So there's the key. That's, that's the key to us pleasing God. He says, I am pleased with him. Hear him. And if you do, then I'll be pleased with you but not apart from my righteousness sake, which is Christ. Amen. So great, great uh, information there. Hebrews 13, verse 16, it says, But do good, and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. To do good, to do beneficial things. What's good? Well, it's what's beneficial. Uh, well, beneficial to who? Who's defining beneficial? You know, what, what you think is beneficial isn't necessarily beneficial but what's beneficial according to Scripture, what is good according to the Bible. The Bible says we'll be judged according to the things done in our body, whether good or bad. Good is beneficial, something that's actually making a difference for eternity, making a difference in, for souls in the kingdom of God. Amen? And so, so it's saying to do good and to communicate, forget not. So what's communicate? 
Well, that's just what I'm doing right now, just talking to you, right? Not scripturally, it was far deeper back then. The word communicate now just means maybe we're talking by uh, voice or maybe email or by text. Or we call that communication, but that's not what communication meant in its depth in the New Testament. What it meant was sharing yourself with someone else, giving of yourself to them. So when I'm communicating to you, I'm giving of myself to you. And then you give of yourself to me. Now we can do that by the things we say. We can do that by the things we give. We can do that by giving our time, giving our energy. All those things are communication one to another. And so that's what the Bible says. But to do good and to communicate, forget, forget, uh, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So that's where he gets that whiff of his son. When, we're, when we have that kind of attitude. Uh, 2 Peter, let's see here. I, know I already read that. Um, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. That is a pretty awesome verse right there. In fact, it's probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If I signed your Bible, that's what I'll put there. But thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Then it goes on to say, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are a savor of death unto death. And to the other, the savor of life unto life. So you think, well, what is that talking about there? Well, he's giving us two sides here. He's saying that you're supposed to be a savor of Christ to them that are saved and to them that perish. Then it says, to those that are saved, you're a savor of death unto death. So you know what that means? That to the, to the saved people, I'm supposed to express death to you. Death to self. See, the lost doesn't care about my death to self. That that's, doesn't mean anything to them. <laughs> They're not interested. They're already dying. <laughs> They're already on their way to hell. But you know who really needs to know about death? Is the children of God. They need to understand about that, self, that self-crucifixion. That, that dying to self. That self-denial. And so he's saying that as I deny myself, and as I give forth that savor to you, that lifts up Christ in the nostrils of God. And as we live that, that life of self-denial. But then it goes on to say, and life unto life. Now that's to the lost. So what does the lost need to see from me? They need to see the life of Christ. They need to see what the difference is between what they are and what Jesus is. Amen? And so as I show them the difference and what a Christian ought to be and how we operate in our lives, that's a sweet savor to the Lord. So that's a very powerful passage. It talks about how that he maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, whether it's to the saved, whether it's to the lost. Amen. That's powerful stuff. It says, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. All right, we're going to go to letter B. The intercession of Christ, the altar of incense, typifies the work of Jesus Christ as our intercessor before the Father in heaven. 
So it's also a picture of the prayer that's raising up in the nostrils of God. So our prayer, we even see that in the book of Revelation. I don't think I have that here, but it talks about how that prayer, uh, he even, I think, saves it in the, in the vials and so forth. And so it, to him, it's got substance to it. Amen. So in Romans 8, 34, it says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. In 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So there he's our advocate. He's the one that stands between us and, and the Lord. He, he intercedes and argues our case on our behalf. Uh, Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And so that's an important ministry of Christ today is his intercessory ministry. And you got to make much of that. you got to praise him for that and thank God that he's praying for you. Uh, everyone here is saved because the Lord prayed for you. Amen. And if he prayed for you, you're getting saved. <laughs> Amen. He doesn't, he doesn't waste his prayers, you know. I think in John 17, you look at the Lord's prayer, like the real Lord's prayer, as he prayed to the Father, all of those things that he prayed are going to be answered. Even some of them aren't answered right now. Some of them have been. Some of them are going to be. But you go through that sometimes. John 17, just go through the prayer of Christ. And uh, now I'm not talking about the disciples' prayer. I'm not talking about our Father which art in heaven. I'm talking about the prayer that he made before the Lord in John 17, that personal uh, prayer that he made to God before he was crucified. And that's very powerful. Uh, letter C. The intercession of Christ's church. The altar of incense typifies the believer's prayers to God. The blood sprinkled on the horns of this altar shows us the power of forgiveness, Available to, available to us when we pray confessing our sins to the Lord. And so the horns in the Bible are always typifying power. So the brazen altar will have some horns on it as well. The, the uh, altar of incense has horns on it as well. And it's interesting that they took the blood and they sprinkled it on the horns of this little altar that was inside the holy place. And every time you do that, you know that, that the power that you have in living your life comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your forg his forgiveness, his cleansing, all of that stuff comes through the blood of Christ. That's why the devil hates it so much, you know, and that's why dead churches hate it so much. They don't want to, pray, they don't want to sing about the blood. I don't want to preach about the blood of Christ. You know, we'll, we'll talk about nice things, but we won't be talking about the blood. Well, that's because... The devil knows there's power in the blood, <laughs> amen? And that's why it's typified by the blood being sprinkled on the horn, which is power. So there's power, 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 wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb, amen? And so Psalm 142, verse 2, it says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands <clears throat> as the evening sacrifice. And so there you see the fulfillment of that picture. My prayers are to be set forth before thee as incense. And I wish I didn't have the whole study here of, of the incense, <clears throat> but the incense is a very special recipe that is made uh, specifically for this usage. And they weren't to use that re recipe for any other 
time. So if they were using incense for a different purpose, <coughs> it wouldn't be this incense. It'd be a very special one. And they weren't allowed to make this incense for anything other than for that altar of incense inside the holy place. And there were several uh, different things that were added, ingredients. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember, I don't want to say it in case I'm wrong, but I think it's nine ingredients. And looking at the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, there's nine fruit of the Spirit. And so it's interesting, but we won't get there right now because I don't have it in front of me and I might make a mistake. Amen? Revelation 8, 3, it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now, what golden altar is he talking about here? The one in Jerusalem? No, the one in heaven. So the angel had the censer, and he was going to offer the incense with the prayers of the saints. So there you have that connection. That's, that's what it's referring to. That's the picture. And so, folks, when you lift up your voice to the Lord and pray... You're going through a, a burden and a trial, and you're needing help, or you got people that are turning on you and hurting you, and the, the wicked have come at you with all their force. You bring that prayer to the Lord because it, He's keeping it up there. He sees it. Amen. It's real to Him. He He senses that. He smells that, just like Jesus Christ, the Son. And so it says, "And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints." ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So there you see that, that combination, incense and the prayers of the saints. Amen? All right, number four. We're going to be done this real quick here tonight. Um, the furniture revealed the cross. There you can see the, uh, the picture. I don't know if uh, Ben wants to pull that up. But there's the, all the different the, uh, furniture that's within the uh, tabernacle plus the laver and the brazen altar on the outside, and they picture the cross of Calvary. And that is an important thing because Moses didn't know about the cross. He didn't understand the Roman crucifixion that would take place thousands of years in the future. And so the Lord just told them, according to the pattern that I gave you in the mountain, that's the way you do this. You know, he, so Moses didn't get these ideas, well, then I'll, I'll just do it my own way because I'm my own man, you know, I can do my own thing. No, he's, I'm going to do it exactly what the Lord told me to do. I'm going to put that piece there. I'm going to put that piece there and there and there. And you know what you get? The picture. The Lord is sanctified once again. He is set apart to people. So what if Moses would have said, I'm going to move the candlestick somewhere else? Well, then now you're failing to sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the people again. And not just the people in that present day, but us people today. He would have failed. <clears throat> so when Moses you know, uh, struck the rock instead of speaking to it, he failed to sanctify. That's what the Lord says, because you failed to sanctify. You're not going into the promised land. You will not experience the will of God to its fulfillment because you, you failed to sanctify me. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's why you got to always just want to do it the way, the pattern that was showed in the mount. The way that God says it in the Word. And I, it's easy to just, whatever, you know, it's easy to just talk through it and reason through it. And say, well, you know, what's the big deal? All these kind of things. People do it all the time with baptism, Lord's Supper, the church, whatever. What's the big deal, right? 
Well, what's the big deal is it's not just for you, but it's for your children and grandchildren. And everything we're doing here today, we're sanctifying the Lord in their eyes, in your eyes, and in the eyes of the lost. Amen. So we have to do things the right way. And so that, that's a vital, vital, vital uh, truth that we learn here. And so the furniture. Um, <clears throat> Exodus 26, 34, And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, and thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. And so he's got it all figured out, even with directions where all these pieces are supposed to be. So the placement of the furniture discloses the message God was making known through the tabernacle, the need for a cross to bring sinners to God. Um, his message to sinners is the judgment of sin upon His Son, so we can have eternal life. And that's why 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And Ephesians 2.14, For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath bro broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace." so that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And that's why it talks about his body or his flesh becoming that veil, that veil that is rent, so we can have access into the throne room of God. Amen? And so that's a whole picture of the tabernacle here. And it says, uh, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. All right, let's see what else I have here. Philippians 2.8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Colossians 1.20, And have made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And so when you guys start going through scripture, and you start looking at that word cross, and how it's used in all these passages, boy, you see the importance of that cross, Amen. All the ordinances that were against us were nailed to the cross. What were those ordinances? We talked about them on Sunday morning. Uh, the law, the moral law, all the, the judgment of that law against you, everything was nailed to the cross. So when the Lord gave the, the people of Israel the, the law, remember he put it within the Ark of the Covenant. He covered it with the mercy seat. He put it within a tabernacle. He put it behind a veil. He made it look like the cross it was all about bringing mankind to himself and all these obstacles that were in the way that we were not he made us he brought us through all of that reconciling us to god through that cross that's the picture of the tabernacle is the cross of calvary and the and the picture of how he's bringing us to himself
So if he would have just left us the law and said, here, Moses, take this law down there and go live by the law. Wow. Nobody would be reconciled to God ever. Nobody would ever. But because he said, put it in the ark, put a mercy seat on it, put it in the tabernacle. See, because now we're talking about the ceremonial law. Now we're talking about the provision of the blood of Christ for the failure of mankind. That's what the tabernacle is all about. The law is perfect and just and good and holy. But you know what? None of us live up to it. So it had to be immediately put in the ark. And I just thought it was interesting because the first time that Moses had the law of God, they had already broken the law and they already knew what it was. It's not like they didn't know. And he threw down those tablets and broke them. So the first set of the law were in the hands of a man. And immediately they were broken. (laughs) Amen. So when he went back up and he got a new set of tablets, the Lord says, okay, here's the tablets again. But now let me share this with you. I want you to make yourself an ark. Amen. So the first time he says, this is what it's like when you bring it down, when you hold the law in your hands. And the second time, this is what happens when I hold the law. Amen. And provide a way for you to enter in. That's what the tabernacle is all about. What a wonderful, powerful truth. In fact, it's the greatest picture in the Old Testament. Uh, it is a major type within the, within the Old Testament. Of all the types in the Old Testament, this is the major type that every Christian should understand. Amen? And so anyways, um, Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Altar of incense. I don't doubt for a second that everybody in this room that is born again, if you have Christ in your heart, you want, beyond a shadow of a doubt, to have your life pleasing to the Lord. That is a desire you have. And if you don't have that desire, you're not saved. And Christ isn't in you. I'm not saying your life does please him, but the desire is there and you want it. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, okay, Lord, how do I please you? How do I do this? Well, it's going to start with faith. And you know, maybe you need to do a study through the New Testament of all these sacrifices that you can give that will be pleasing unto the Lord and fulfilling your priesthood that he's called you to. Because you are a priest before the Lord and you do draw nigh to him. And I think we just have to be careful, all of us, that we do not fail to sanctify the Lord as we draw nigh to our God because he expects that of everyone that draws nigh to him. Every one of us. So we're all accountable and responsible to the Lord.